Hi, this is Nathan Radke from The Uncover Up, which is the podcast that you're about to listen to, as you probably know. Uh, Normally, this is the point where we would kick in with the theme music, and we will do that in a second. But I thought that I should just come on at the beginning of this episode, first of all, to, of course, thank you for listening, but also to let you know that we recorded this episode in Lee's backyard, and, well, Lee's backyard is gorgeous, and he's done some amazing woodwork on his patio, and he's got some very impressive plants. He also has a bunch of cicadas, so you will hear some weird cicada noises in the background of this episode occasionally. Kind of sounds like it's electricity or like a UFO landing or something, so maybe it's appropriate. Anyway, enjoy the episode. This is all a test. Welcome to the Uncover Up. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nathan Radke, and joining me today, not in the bunker, but in Lee's backyard, is Dr. Lee Kuhnler. Hi, everyone. But we, we're missing someone today, too. Yes. Yeah, just, just the two of us. Yeah, she's in her own backyard right now, but she'll be on the next one. Okay. In her backyard. Fantastic. It would actually be kind of strange if I was in your backyard and you weren't joining me. <laughs> if you just looked out the window, you're in your robe. Nathan is recording in my backyard again. What's going on? That would be... A strange and disturbing thing to have happen. That's exactly right. It would be weird. And speaking of things that are strange and <laughs> weird and disturbing, segue, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Oh. I mean, that's, I guess, what we talk about every episode. Pretty much. Now that I think about it. We've never had one that has been reassuring and relaxing. That's right. Well, Maybe the one on movies. Yeah, that was that, sort That of, was kind of relaxing. That was about body snatchers and the red yeah, menace okay. and oh, communism right, 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 right. and... Yeah, so We're not your feel-good podcast. No, no, we are definitely not. But what we do try to do is we try to do a bit of fan service here at the Uncover Up as well. For example, uh, we noticed that we had a lot of listeners in Wayne, New Jersey, so we did an episode on the New Jersey Devil. <laughs> Today, we're going to do uh, a little bit more fan service because we also have a bunch of fans in actually one of my favorite places in the world, which is the northwest of the United States. Places like Seattle, Bonnie Lake. I, I love that area. I've traveled to that area. And that is an important area as far as conspiracies go because there's a lot of weird stuff that's happened out there. Yeah, there's a lot of firsts, it seems. Uh, weren't you telling me that it was one of the first places for alien sightings? Yeah, I mean, Kenneth Arnold, of course, right. who uh, coined the phrase flying saucer. That happened, Washington State. Uh, of course, we know that uh, you're a big Bigfoot aficionado. That's right. They're all out there. Yeah. Tons of Bigfoot sightings out there. And then just sort of in general, it's a strange kind of isolated place, hmm. which has resulted in, I think, some of the cultural movements that we have seen out of the Northwest, like grunge. That came about just basically because bands weren't going to Seattle. So the people of Seattle had to put together bands. I loved some of those bands. I mean, I was a big Nirvana fan as a kid. I was a mud honey man. Oh, okay. But I mean, Nirvana's fine. (laughs) So that's what we're going to do. We're going to travel to the Pacific Northwest. All right. And we're going to look at something that you and I actually lecture about pretty much every term. Yep. But we haven't really talked about on the podcast. Okay. And that is the Great Seattle Windshield Epidemic. Yeah. And actually, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the lecture because I bring this up 
pretty much in the first lecture, if not the first and the second. It's such an important event. It, it, it tells us so much about a lot of the issues that we've been talking about. It, it really contextualizes human behavior, some of the sociological themes we've touched upon. And you know, and I found this so much fun working with you through conspiracies because you get these gems of history. Everybody knows about the big moments, you know, the start or end of World War II and the fall of the Berlin Wall and, you know, those kinds of big monumental things that you learn in school. But there's so much amazing, fun, weird, creepy, hilarious history out there. These little events that tell us so much and that I just find often just fall by the wayside. This is not the kind of thing that I ever heard about in my history class, and yet it's one of my favorite stories. Yeah, me too. And I guess that's part of our, if we do a public service, that's part of it, is okay. that we are sort of holding on to these forgotten gems of history to try to see what we can learn from them. We're remembering stuff. Yeah. So what happened? Well, this one starts off in the least impressive way imaginable. Like we've talked about these massive social movements and historical events. This one starts off with something so small that if it happened to you, you might not even tell your own family about it yep. because it's so inconsequential. In fact, it did happen to me. I'll tell you about that later. Uh, but, you know, I'm thinking as you're, as you're uh, setting it up, you remember that air raid over Los Angeles where there's all that fighting and, uh, you know, people see something and the military starts shooting. This sure, is the like battle the, for Los Angeles. This is the exact opposite. This is the exact opposite beginning of that. Like, if that one started with a big bang and fireworks, this one starts really slowly, you know, almost imperceptibly, turns into something at least as big. Yeah, so if we start this story and you start thinking, they are running out of things to talk about. <laughs> no, we're not. This is gonna this is gonna start small, but it's gonna get big. All right. So so what what time are we talking about? When in history are we locating this event? The specific day is March twenty third, nineteen fifty four. Okay. And the specific place? The specific place is the small town of Bellingham, Washington, which is about eighty miles north of Seattle. Okay. All right. So here's what happens. If this was a horror movie or something, this would be like that <laughs> that scene that, that sort of sets the stage. There's a, a couple guys. We don't know their names. That's been lost to history. And they are at a, a store in a parking lot. And one of the guys notices, hey, there is a chip out of my windshield. Mm -hmm. Dun, dun. Yeah, exactly. Now, you know, I mean, okay, there's a chip in your windshield. But then, as I understand this story they go over to the other guy's car because they had come in two separate cars and they look at the other guy's car. There's also a chip in his windshield. Now we got a pattern. Right? Now what is I mean, it about the, what like is the human the brain? What is the likelihood will, yeah, of, exactly. some, of two guys just randomly getting chips in their windshields? That's suspicious. Yeah, very suspicious. And something that people often say in our field, the studying conspiracy field is, I don't like coincidences. That's right. And uh, we don't. No. We don't like coincidences. We like meaning. We like pattern. Yeah. And here we have a pretty clear pattern. Hey, our windshields got chipped. Little tiny chips. Yeah. So they report this to the local police. Mm -hmm. And the police take it with the seriousness that you would expect, which is, eh, it's not really that serious. But 
one of the police officers notices his own car, wait a second. Uh-oh. It's chipped. No. Now it's personal. Yeah, and now there's three, and now we're really getting into pattern territory, Yeah. right? What happens is, uh, the first thing our brain does is notice a pattern. The second thing our brain does is wants an explanation for that pattern. Now, the explanation that our brain comes up with isn't neutral. It's going to be based on our biases, on our, our preconceived beliefs, on our value systems. And so when a cop sees this pattern, his... I mean, we know this from the police reports and from the media reports at the time. What is it that the police believe are, is probably going on here? Well, I, ju- just before I answer it, I will. It's also, I think, just to add one more thing to your list, the nature of what's happening. It's not like people were sticking $5 notes under their windshield. And, you know, I would be very happy to find that. And I would come up with a very different explanation. But what the cops came up with was youth. The youth. It's got to be the youth. Right. Uh, In in particular, it's got to be a brand new invention. And that brand new invention in the 1950s, the human teenager. Oh, I was thinking when you were saying that, because what I, what they used apparently were slingshots. Yeah. Slingshots are not new. That's an old invention. Nathan. (laughs) But the, the being that was wielding that slingshot was a new invention because the idea of the teenager was actually fairly new in North America at this point. I mean, childhood had existed for a while, obviously. Adulthood had existed for a while. But, I mean, basically, you were a kid, and then you would start working, and then you'd be grown, and you'd be an adult. That's right. But now we have this sort of strange in-between time, mm-hmm. the time of being a teen. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of ill-defined. It's, it's a bit scary for the adults because these... Teens, they have increased freedom because after the World War II, you see a lot of more people uh, driving around in cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're making out in those cars. Mm-hmm. Who knows what else they're doing? Oh, yeah. Well, and there's a whole culture that is developing to service that community as a market. So you have all of this youth culture stuff, the music, the outfits. Movies. I mean, before, you're just dressed like an adult. I mean, yep. even babies were dressed like adults, essentially. And then maybe you'd have, like, kids' clothing that could get more dirty. But once you were of a certain age, probably around being a teenager, you start dressing like an adult. Yeah. Um, now you have this period where you're dressing not like a kid, not like an adult. You have all these social freedoms. And I guess also a way to enact them. Like, how do you get away from your parents without a car? You know, yeah, if you you're, actually, you're stuck on your porch drinking lemonade. <laughs> that's yeah, that's not sexy when mom and dad are right there too, right? So, I think there's a lot of social changes that go into making this phenomenon, and a phenomena that is a bit conflictual, right? Like it, it's not an easy fit. The teenagers are kind of rebellious, and so the the notion that they would be marauding around in hordes with slingshots and taking little bits out of the windshield of hardworking American taxpaying citizens kind of makes sense, I think, certainly in the uh, period that we're talking about. Sure. And so when the police officers looked at that pattern, they saw the cause being probably young punks with slingshot or a BB gun. Now, at this point, though, I'm, I am starting to get suspicious that we've run out of material because, yeah, chipped windshield, some kids with a BB gun or a slingshot, 
What's the what's the problem? Yeah, it's it's not a it's not a big deal at all. I mean, it makes the local paper, and people say, you know, be on the lookout for this. The the cops put out an APB. Mm. I'm sure describing somebody with like rolled up jeans and <laughs> right, like right. cigarettes <laughs> tucked into their t-shirt, yeah, yeah, yeah. Slick back Grease, hair, slick back hair. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> listening to rock and or roll. <laughs> but here's the thing. It spreads. And that's what makes this a bit of a horror movie because huh. horror movies often start off, you just got the one zombie, eh, what's the big deal? We just got the one zombie. Right. But that zombie starts to spread. And that's what happens here is that whatever this event is also starts to spread because on March 30th, just one week later, the towns of Cedro, Woolley, and Mount Vernon, which are now about 70 miles north of Seattle, they get hit. And a bunch of people notice, wait, our cars have also been dinged. The local police respond to this, but they're unable to find anybody. They're looking for some punk kid with a slingshot in his pocket, and they cannot find anybody. And the calls keep coming in. Well, my car got hit, and my car got hit, and my car got hit. So it's starting to sound like there's a lot of them. Yeah. At this point, we've had like a few hundred reports of this. Wow. Now, if this is a couple young punks... Those are some fairly ambitious young punks. Yeah, they're really moving around the sort of... Um, I, I, I'm, I'm imagining this as Seattle being a, a sort of bullseye in the middle, and you've got these concentric circles around Seattle where all these events are taking place, and it seems to be getting, as you were saying, a bit closer. The events seem to kind of close in on Seattle, but that's a huge amount of territory. I mean, that's not one kid on a bicycle. There's no way. There's no way it can be. Unless it's some kind of giant youth violence gang. Right. And this is like some kind of initiation. Right. In order okay. to, to join the this gang, the, the glass crackers. Okay. <laughs> you've got to like, you got to make your bones. You got to chip a windshield. Right, right, right. Okay. However, two weeks after that, April 14th, things get nuts. First of all, the town of Anacortes, which is south of Bellingham, gets hit. Uh, at this point, the, the police, are they feel like they've been made to look foolish. They, mm. they send every available officer to this town. They are pulling everybody over. They're setting up roadblocks. Okay. They're going to catch these guys. Right. Because that makes sense. I mean, if it's, if it's a, a, a large youth gang roaming about, you're go- I mean, they're, you're going to find them, right? Yeah. So you set up roadblocks. And you're just a concerted effort. Just get, just do it, right? Makes sense. Yeah. Just let's shut this down. Okay. Doesn't work. That same day, not only does it not work, but that same day, an Air Force base gets hit. Whidbey Air Force Base is hit. Huh. Now, it's 45 miles north of Seattle. Uh-huh. So whatever this is, it's closing in on Seattle fast, and now it's hitting an Air Force base. So, like, national security is now involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, nine squads of Marines perform a hard target search of the base. What does that mean? Hard- it means, like, they're flipping stuff over, they're pulling people over, they're frisking people, okay. they're, like... So you're, like, actually looking for a person. Yeah, like- you're, you're not just sort of walking around having a nice stroll. Mm-hmm. This okay. is, like, this is on. Now, at this point, uh, a local sheriff of Whidbey, Tom Clark, says, no human agency could have caused this. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, that's a bit eerie. That's some good horror movie stuff. Yeah. What caused this? No human agency. And it's true because at this point, we've got 2,000 cars that have been dinged. Okay. So let's just take stock here. We've got some guys who notice some chipping in their windshield. They take it to the local authorities. The local authorities, lo and behold, notice they actually also have some. They put out a police report, and more and more of these events start materializing 
to the point now, how many days later? This is not, this is what, like a week or two later? Well, the first event was March 23rd mm-hmm. in Bellingham. It was March 30th in Sidra Woolley in Mount Vernon. This is April 14th where everything blows up. Okay. So not a long time. And we've got 2,000 cases now. Forgive me, but at this point, it does look like a pattern, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, I can, I can be suspicious about calling two things a pattern, right, uh, out of random noise. Two things emerge. Maybe three is a coincidence. 2,000? I mean, at lot. this point, it's, it's getting And those are just of, the ones we know about. Yeah, okay. There's probably a bunch of people who have been hit and don't even know. If it's not a youth gang i mean uh, let's see could it be a youth gang i mean once i once you start hitting military bases yeah that's <laughs> figuring like, that's like some youth gang that's got to be a hardcore initiation <laughs> well at this point because it's so widespread it's it's all over the newspapers yeah. and there's a lot of speculation going on in the newspapers so why don't we go through some of the hypotheses and okay. see if if any of these make some sense okay let's because, start with with the cops and their idea that it's local punks okay so there i feel like some of the things that give me pause is when we start getting events in highly secure locations, sure. right? The geographical spread outness, there's got to be a better word for spread that. Outness. <laughs> spread outness. Spread outness. That doesn't sound... Um, it doesn't sound very... That doesn't sound very... We've clearly not been lecturing for a long time. <laughs> Guys, you've got to consider the spread outness of all of this. <laughs> but it feels like it's a it's too large of an area. For, widespread, I think. Is why you go. There you go. Um, it's too large of an area, too widespread of an area for kids with bicycles. I'm thinking, let's take the youth gang idea seriously. What are we talking about? 20 kids? Yeah. Right? Maybe someone's got a car. I mean, these things are happening on the same day yep. in different areas of Washington State. Yep. So, I mean, what are you driving like 100 to 300 kilometers from one location to another just to take a little like dime-sized chunk out of someone's windshield? Yeah, uh, it's it's way too widespread for it to be local punks. It also has not responded at all to aggressive policing. In in fact, if anything, it, it it's accelerated right. during this time of aggressive policing. It's gotten much worse. Right. Which doesn't really follow. It doesn't seem to make much sense. So what are some of the other hypotheses? Okay. As a cynical modern day consumer, what about something like manufacturing errors? Uh, Now, this is interesting because some people reported about this time that they had actually seen a little speck in their windshield Uh and then something had hatched out of it. And when it hatched out, it caused the chip in the windshield. We have not arrived at aliens, have we? I, well, <laughs> it's the 50s. It's the States. I will say it's Seattle. I mean, it's, it's the West Coast. It's the 50s. It's the United States. And I will say that when I looked at the newspapers of the time, I did see references to aliens. No, uh, I, no, I even saw some uh, like editorial cartoons that showed little green men on the moon kicking moon rocks onto <laughs> Seattle. And if we can get the uh, if we can get the rights to it, maybe we'll put that up on our Instagram. Okay. So what what would have been hatching out of a wind windshield? How does well? What? I mean, there sand is used in the preparation of glass. Okay. And there are insects that live in sand. For example, sand fleas. Uh. Uh, okay. Now, because people claim to have actually, with their own eyes, seen something hatch, then people said, well, maybe there was sand flea eggs that were, like, 
not baked enough and they survived the process. And again, as you say, maybe this was negligence on the part of the automotive. uh, Or worse, what if this was on purpose? Designed obsolescence. Have we discovered another conspiracy? Well, well, maybe. At- I mean, if we look at the history of car companies, like they, there has been some shenanigans there. Oh yeah, that's the true. Ford Pinto. Come on. Oh yeah. Well, the VW uh, emission scandal. The uh, Ford Explorer uh, tire bursting rollover scandal. Man, we should do some episodes on corporate car conspiracies because. And we just lost our yeah. <laughs> our sponsorship from Ford, Volkswagen. GM, yeah, yeah. And uh, okay, so look, let me, I don't know. The sand flea thing seems implausible because I, I know very little about how sand is turned into glass, but I'm sure there's a huge amount of heat involved. There is. And I would feel like these sand flea eggs would not survive it. They wouldn't. I mean... And even even if they did, like a, a baby sand flea would not be strong enough to crack a windshield. Okay. All right. So, so, so not not that plausible. Yeah. So let's set the local punks aside. Let's okay. Set the sand fleas aside. Okay. Uh, what about the possibility? I mean, this is the 1950s. There's been a lot of technological change. There's mm. been a, like, if you think about it, just in the 1930s, you saw a lot of old fabric-covered biplanes flying around. And now we've got rocket planes going faster than the speed of sound. Yeah. Like it has been a very short period of time, in part because of World War II, mm-hmm. that there's been this extraordinary technological advancement that it's hard for everyday people to even keep up with these advancements. Okay. So what about something like, what about if it was high frequency waves from a new military radio transmitter? Had something like that been created? Yes. Something like that had just been made outside of Seattle. It was designed to help the Navy communicate with deep diving submarines. Okay. So what if it was something like that? What if this was like an accidental outcome, an unintended outcome from a brand new technology that simply hadn't been tested enough? Is that feasible? On on first blush, I would say yes. I, I Again, this is just a bit of cynical personal trivia, but I don't feel like all of our products we really always take into consideration the social consequences of the things that we release into society at large. I'm not blaming any particular company and stuff, but I don't remember us ever having had as a culture, a conversation about what the internet meant, you know, before it happened, it was just sort of, let's just let this genie out of the box. And 20, 30 years about uh, years later, we'll talk about sort of the consequence. I feel like we go about technological innovation very much that way. Which I'm not always against because it does bring us amazing uh, products. But I, you know, yeah, like maybe, sure. But then, on the other hand, I wonder. So if there's some radio, high radio frequency thing that's screwing up car windows, I actually now feel like there should be a lot more sightings. Like everybody or also what about household windows? Like, yeah, that's a good point. Well, if, maybe there's something about the the windshields of cars so that the oscillation that occurs from the high-frequency mm. waves... I mean, let me tell you a story that maybe will make you think that this sort of accidental implication of a new technology, maybe there's something to this. Okay. Have you ever heard of the XF-84 Thunder Screech? Uh, no. I'm guessing it's a plane. Sure is. <laughs> I haven't talked about planes in a while. I know. It's been like, what, at least two episodes at least, now. And so here I go. All right. The XF-84 Thunder Screech. Yeah. 
It came out in... Oh, I know. I know where this is going. Now you you remember. (laughs) Comes out in 1955. Jet fighters had become the norm at this point. Okay. But they still thought, the American Air Force still thought, well, maybe there's a, a, a way to have the speed of a jet, but the ease of maintenance of a prop driven fighter. So they built this thing with the world's most powerful propeller engine. Okay. And it was extraordinarily fast. Uh, It was going to be an interceptor. However, it did cause some unintended consequences. (laughs) Because the thing is, if this thing flew over you at a low altitude, you would have a seizure, get a headache, lose control of your bowels, and then pass out. So the only part of that story I actually remembered, just so that the listeners don't think I'm quite such a cretin uh, for laughing there, was that you pooped your pants. Yes. That was the takeaway for me, was that this yeah. plane flies over your head and you poop your pants. Yeah. Uh, now, and I can't stress enough, that wasn't the point of this plane. I mean, that would have been a, a fairly <laughs> this devastating... This was before the time of Donald Trump, right? Yeah. So <laughs> It would have been a fairly devastating psychological weapon. Because if you were about to fight and you'd be like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to go home. I'm going to go home and change. But it wasn't designed to do that. The propeller was spinning at such a speed that it was causing a constant state of sonic boom, which caused shockwave, which was interfering with our bodily processes. Oh, man. Okay. So your point here is that, look, there can be really weird, unintended consequences from some new technology that is just released into the world without being maybe sufficiently tested. Sure. Uh, Okay. So why not then high frequency oscillating radio waves? I think for the reasons that you brought up before, it should Mm. be more widespread. Why would it only be affecting car windshields? Why wouldn't we see the same thing happening to household windows or storefront windows? And it's also only the front windshield, right? Like it's not the back windshield that this is happening to, which actually is also why aren't the kids shooting at the back of the cars? Like why is it only the front windshield? Yep. So these are all excellent questions, enough so that I think that, well, I mean, like something similar, the U.S. Navy has a massive sonar array to try to detect enemy submarines, and we know that an unintended side effect of that is that it's damaging to whales. Oh, okay. So, like, this stuff does happen. However, it doesn't seem likely that such a specific event Hmm. would have a cause like that. Okay. So we'll set that aside. Let's bring in... I mean, it's 1954. Mm-hmm. It is April of 1954. Do you know what happened on March 1st of 1954, just a few weeks before all this started? Okay, I'm honestly guessing here. Was it the Bravo test? It was. It was Castle Whoa! Bravo. Nicely done. I have been doing this long enough. I cannot believe I got that. Well, I mean, if I answer, if I ask a question, the answer is no. often going to be, was it a crazy nuclear test? That's right. No, no, it's true for, for listeners who haven't been following us for the whole time. There's really only one of two answers to Nathan's questions. It's either an airplane, well, maybe three, airplane, alien, or H-bomb. Or H-bomb test. <laughs> so the Bikini Atoll, March 1st, 1954, they set off a brand new kind of bomb, the hydrogen bomb. A bomb that's designed, if you're curious about this, I did an entire uh, podcast episode about it called Doomsday Weapons or Doomsday Devices. The way this would work is it, it starts a chain reaction amongst hydrogen molecules, which uh, causes them to fuse together. The initial explosion is a fission reaction, but then that fission reaction causes a fusion reaction amongst the hydrogen molecules, 
which then spreads out and causes this like unholy amount of energy to be released immediately. Was this the test where Werner von Braun ran away? Yeah, this was the test where they thought, you know, there's a possibility. The air is full of hydrogen anyway. There's a possibility this will just catch the air on fire and we will incinerate the entire Earth. That might happen. Right. And, and that didn't happen. Uh, spoiler alert. But what did happen is that it was much larger than they were expecting. Yeah. So there were a couple moments there because they thought if this works, the cloud should get this big. And it got that big. They thought it would be a six megaton blast, but it turned out to be a 15 megaton blast, which is considerably bigger than they were expecting. And so for a few moments there, they thought, we have ended the world. Wow. Not only did that happen, but the fallout from that bomb fell on several inhabited islands. Yeah, that was really poisoning the people there. And a Japanese fishing boat called the Lucky Dragon Number no. 5. Mm-hmm. Again, for that whole story, uh, check out the Doomsday Devices episode that we did. So that happened only a couple weeks before the Seattle windshield thing. Are we, again, are we just to say this is some kind of coincidence? Right. Now, just just let me do a little questioning on that point. Is this something that the general public knows about? They did. In fact, there were, in the Seattle paper, there were headlines like, Three H-bomb victims face death, doctor reports on fishermen. Or... Witness says, hydrogen test out of control, Uh or disaster plan result of H-bomb study. So, yeah, this was fairly well known, as was the the sheer scope of this horrifying experiment. How, though, what's the mechanism of operation? How is... Because we're not saying it was the it was the Bravo test. No, because it was afterwards. We're saying, though, that the Bravo test brought... Um, nuclear testing maybe again back to the f- uh, forefront of people's consciousness and they're now what domestically blaming h-bomb tests uh, for maybe causing this and but my again I, I for the same reason like with the radio oscillating waves I, I don't know why it would be such a specific phenomenon caused by something that would affect all of society well I mean It wasn't just the chips of the windshield. When they found the chipped windshields, they also found a strange dust, like a weird kind of particulate matter. And that was also coating some of those windshields that were chipped. So maybe that wasn't the only effect. Maybe there were other effects. I see. So I'm starting to like this explanation a bit more. So there is potentially, I'm just trying to reconstruct a theory here, potentially there are some secret nuclear tests happening in the Washington state area. And the reaction of that, maybe it's kicking up a lot of debris. Maybe which uh, is super coral. F- yeah. Maybe there's little bits of microscopic coral that were blown into the air. There you go. Oh, that's right. Maybe and, that- and it's raining down on windshields. Uh-huh. Okay. And that actually would account for why most houses would be spared because their windows aren't at an angle. That's right. It's more vertical. So the stones would be less likely to... Okay. Yeah. You're, you're, this is, of the, of the stories we've told so far, of the theories that we've tried to get to, this seems a bit more convincing. Well, we're talking about an event that we know had already a ton of horrifying unintended consequences. Yeah, yeah, that's so right. So this would just be, this wouldn't even be the worst unintended consequence of that experiment. Okay. And yet though, yet, 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 I still wonder, I still feel like, shouldn't it then be basically all the cars in a certain area? 2,000 seems like a very small number for all the cars in Washington State. 
So if this if the test happens somewhere, wouldn't you expect most of those cars in that area to be affected? Like if there is a hurricane, you know, it happens to all of us. Ah, see, you say that. But remember, this was something that started off in the north and was heading south. So by the end of the day, uh, on April 14th, we had 3,000 cars hit in Seattle because that is the day that whatever this was hit Seattle. Aha. Uh-huh. 6 p.m., report comes into the police that three cars were chipped at the corner of 6th Avenue and John Street. Mm-hmm. 9 p.m., motorist reports getting dinged at North 82nd Street. Mm-hmm. And basically all hell breaks loose in that town. Huh. Uh, okay. there, there are parking lots getting hit. There are auto sale lots getting hit. There are police cars getting hit in front of the precinct stations. The police call in extra personnel to help deal with all of this this flood of calls. Okay. And we do know this happens because we have the police reports. I remember seeing some newspaper articles of the time with pictures of uh, one in particular of a car salesman who was covering all his cars because he didn't want whatever was happening to lower the uh, retail value of his product. So he sure. he was um, putting sort of a, a sheet over the windshield of all the cars. So, okay, okay. Now, and let me ask you this. If it's doing this, whatever this is, if it's doing this to car windshields, what might it be doing to our lungs? Yeah. No. Like we're probably breathing it in. That weird dust, we're probably breathing in that dust. We're getting it in our eyes. Right. If it can okay. chip a windshield, what else can it do? Okay. So I would put the first three explanations that we had, which was the youth gang, the yep. sand flea eggs, yep. and the oscillating radio transmitter million watt thingamabob. I put those into the less plausible. Yep. The H-bomb seems to be more plausible than those other ones. Yeah. I mean, certainly the timing is there. And it would also be the kind of thing I think people would as you say, because the Bravo test is in the news, but it is the age of atomic weapons now. Yep. It is the kind of thing, I think, that would come readily to hand yep. when you start to indulge in, maybe it's a technology that's causing this. And look at what we already know these weapons do. They will turn a human being into like a shadow on a wall. Yeah. They will take a city and reduce it to just rubble and ash. And an individual, I mean, they just you just completely collapse in the most horrific way with uh, radiation exposure, too much radiation exposure. Yeah. So it's not that surprising that this is one of the, the suspect hypotheses. So at this point, one thing is clear. This is bigger than local police. Right. This is bigger than, like, the, the mayor. And the mayor of Seattle knows it. He knows that his people are freaking out. He knows that something is, like, headed towards his city like a freight train. Yeah. So what does he do? I think he uh, probably gets some more serious authorities involved, like people above his pay grade. Yeah. Is, is that right? Because I seem to remember there was a uh, communique sent by the mayor to the governor. Yep. And then uh, from there on to the president of the United States. Yeah. President now, Dwight Eisenhower. Dwight Eisenhower. Now, I know you love the old timey accents, so I'm going to let you read uh, this communique that was eventually sent to President Eisenhower about this event. Unfortunately, whatever time period we're talking about, I always do an accent from like the early 1940s. I always do a mid-Atlantic accent. It works. Yeah. I, I think it's it, it, it signals old-timey. Okay, well, here we go. Here's some old-timey stuff. This is the text of the, I guess, the wire, the cable, that was sent from Mayor Alan Pomeroy of Seattle to President Eisenhower. Ahem. <clears throat> What appeared to be a localized outbreak of vandalism in damaged auto windshields and windows in northern Washington state 
has now spread through the Puget Sound area. Chemical analysis of mysterious powder adhering to damaged windshields and windows indicates the material may simply be spread by wind and not be a police matter at all. Urge appropriate agencies to cooperate with local authorities on an emergency basis. I, when I first read that, was really struck by it because while the communique does suggest, hey, maybe it's nothing, it, 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 it very strongly, I mean, this, again, is a message to the president from a mayor and governor saying there's something scary here and I think we should consider a state of emergency. And this is already a pretty scary time. Yeah. Like for the the president had other things going on. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's it. When I do a lecture on this, I have to impress upon my class that, you know, this matters. Like you don't just pick up the phone and call the president now and then. It's it's if you're communicating with that person, something serious is happening. Yeah, this, this isn't is, a joke. No, this is legit. Uh, immediately, a, a team of scientists from Washington State University, uh, University of Washington, uh, they get on this. They're doing statistical analysis. They they take that powder yeah. and they analyze that powder. Uh-huh. I mean, I hope they did it safely in some kind of lab wearing great big suits and everything yeah, yeah, because yeah. who the hell knows what this is. And they come very quickly to an explanation. Okay. I, haven't we already come to the explanation? Are we just putting this to bed now? Nuclear bomb tests uh, somewhere maybe close by? According to the University of Washington scientists, little rocks and pebbles get kicked up by other cars and trucks and chip your windshield. What? That's yep. the explanation? Womp womp. You, we have run out of material here. I mean, this was what the podcast was about. Was that like, yeah, break a windshield by... But, okay. Now, at first you might think, oh, no, this seems like a cover-up to me. This, <laughs> like, here's, here's the explanation. They noticed that cars with more miles on them had more chips. Uh-huh. Okay. They noticed, as we've talked about already, there were far more chips on front windshields than other windows. They found car lots that had new cars and used cars. Okay. The used cars would have chips. Uh-huh, the new uh-huh. cars would not have chips. Right. Okay. That strange dust was coal dust. <laughs> Which was an extremely uh, common pollutant. It was dust. It, it, had, it had always been there. Okay, okay. And the chips had always been there. So immediately at this point, we have to pivot because something weird did happen Yeah. in the American Northwest. But it didn't happen on windshields. It happened in brains. Yeah. And yeah. so now we make the pivot. Now the physicists and the chemists, they put away, the, like, they put away their, their lab coats and their test tubes and their Bunsen burners. But now it's our job. Exactly. Now As we come on the scientists. Now it's our go. job to be like, okay, no, what is going on here? We got to clean up the psychological, emotional mess that was left behind. So what was this? Well, I mean, okay. So uh, last time we did our uh, podcast, we talked about mass panics and moral panics. And this really fits the bill precisely. I'm going to remind us uh, about what we talked about so Cohen, Stanley, author Stanley Cohen, develops this theory of a uh, moral panic, basically an event that grips society and people within that society kind of freak out and overreact. And he identified five steps in how these uh, panics manifest. First, you define a threat, you depict it. Uh, number three is public concern over that threat. Uh, number four is an official response. And then number five are uh, changes to the community. And this is exactly what happened here, right? I mean, we start to define a threat. So some people notice something. 
and then they see a pattern in it, and then they get concerned. Now, now large-scale public concern comes later once the police report gets out, but they, you know, contact the police officer. Uh, the police officer starts to depict this threat in the terms of youth gangs. This is what's happening. C- gives it some uh, flesh on this, on, you know, the bones of the event. And some legit- legitimacy as well, because, oh, here we have an official response. Exactly. We have authority figures now who are, are who are dealing with this. And, and, and Cohen didn't talk about this in the list that I'm using, he does in the book, uh, about how the media itself then is the basis for the subsequent events. Because what will happen is you will read either in the police report or maybe once it's gotten out into the newspaper that this is happening. What am I going to do, right? If I read this in the newspaper, why don't I go check my car? And then I see, oh my goodness, there's little dents, holes, cracks in my windshield. I've been a victim of whatever's going on. Maybe I should report it. And that cycle gets going up to the point where you have a lot of public concern and then the official response being, I mean, you have multiple escalations well, of you've an official got, response. You've got police chiefs, you've got newspaper yeah. editors, you've got scientists in the newspapers, you've got the local mayor, officials, the governor, the, mayor, the governor, the president. Right. So I thought this was a really fascinating example of of a really clear-cut case of a panic manifesting. And I think it's interesting also, well, there's a number of things, if we can agree that, no, it actually was just uh, the mundane explanation of stones that get kicked up from the car in front of you. It's funny, actually. Uh, this happened to me the day that I went to lecture. On one of the days I went to lecture on this topic, I was driving to the college and it just so happens that I was uh, following a truck that was full of gravel and, you know, a pebble must have fallen out and it got thrown onto my windshield. And I don't honestly remember if it left a mark because I'm sure our windshields today are more resistant to this kind of stuff than they were. But it was the kind of event I know I would not have remembered if I didn't have some reason, like I'm going to go lecture on this. There was like an framing sort of structure, yeah, that allowed you that that to become a memorable thing. And I think that's what was happening to everybody. They all had these dents and holes in their windshield already, but until somebody brought um, their attention to it, they didn't notice it. Reminds me a lot of when I in university uh, had a part-time job as a painter, and before a house a painter of houses, and before I did that job i didn't notice any like the quality of paint on houses it was just not the thing that would even enter my consciousness even though i saw houses and i saw that they were painted i didn't pay any attention to it once i started painting i saw all these imperfections or good paint jobs where the paint was peeling all of this and the only difference was i started paying attention to it i feel like that's goes a long way to explaining at least why people started noticing a phenomenon, somebody brought it to their attention. It was something that was already there. That's why you start getting what I feel like, and Nathan, what do you think? Like, what I feel those numbers show is really how popular this idea became as opposed to indicating any actual thing in the world changing, like actually more pitting. Yeah, I mean, it's just that, I mean, it said 3,000 cars got hit. No, those were 3,000 people that looked at the chips in their windshield mm-hmm. rather than through their windshield. Yeah. 
And that's all, that's all that meant. Yeah. Now, what makes it interesting is we even, like those reports of the, the sand fleas hatching. Like, yeah. how do we explain that? Well, we explain that by, by saying what we think shapes what we see to an extraordinary degree. Yeah. To the point that, I mean, this is how optical illusions work. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a good analogy, yeah. Or, or the famous dress. Oh, the dress that broke the internet. The dress that broke the internet, which depending on what your brain thinks is happening in that picture, right. your brain will give you different colors for that dress. If you don't know what we're talking about, I don't want to give anything away because it's there's so much of the effect is just going and looking at it, especially with a bunch of people. So if you don't know what the dress that broke the internet is, type that into Google with a couple of friends around you and discuss what you see. Yeah, and then try not to fight to the death. Yeah. <laughs> because it really, I do, I also do that with my class. And it's just unbelievable to sit next to somebody who is seeing the same thing completely differently. Yeah. You're like, how is that possible? We both have eyes and a brain. We're in basically the same spot. How could we be interpreting this so radically differently? This is something that we've talked about a lot this idea that we don't just perceive things directly. Everything that that comes to us through perception has to get filtered through mind, through brain, through belief systems, through biases. And that's what happened basically here. Nobody saw it until there was a reason to look for it. And then they saw it. I think what I also find really fascinating about this is the genre of wrong answers. You know, like when something unexplained or as yet unexplained, emerges. What are the things people are reaching to to explain it? And I find that in itself is very telling about maybe us as humans generally and also telling about the particular time that people are in. Today, it'll be like the G5 network will be like the explanatory... 5G. Sorry, 5G network will be like the thing that people reach to if, if... some mysterious event is happening that requires a technological explanation. Well, there's this thing we don't understand. Maybe it's that. Funnily today, nuclear technology is almost never referenced. No, we're fine with that. It's been around long enough. Right? We're, we've domesticated it. Yeah, the, the 5G conspiracies do remind me a lot of this, of the Seattle windshield pitting epidemic, for sure. Where it's just something is happening, and there's also this new technology we don't understand. So these two things, they much might explain each other. Yeah. If, w- if one thing happens and then another thing happens, our brain wants to say, well, that second thing must have been caused by the first thing. No. But of course, we have a fancy Latin phrase to refer to that fallacy. That's right. It is post hoc ergo proctor hoc. Exactly. After this, therefore caused by this. If I snap my finger and then Lee sneezes, that doesn't mean that me snapping my finger caused Lee to sneeze. There was that atomic bomb test, and then this event happened, but that didn't mean that it was caused by that event. Although I guess, in a weird way, it sort of was. Not the windshield event, but the panic event was, to a a degree, caused in part by the atomic bomb testing. Yeah. Yeah, because one of the things we were talking about before we started recording was the fifth point in Cohen's list says that in order... You know a moral panic has happened when there are changes to the community. And I think that this whole fear around the atomic bomb, around the Soviets, around this developing new technology, this is part of that discussion, that that history. And I, I don't know if I would be able to point to one legislative change that emerges out of the Seattle windshield epidemic, 
But it does seem to speak to the larger zeitgeist of the times where subsequent reactions to the Cold War, this sort of feeds that, right? It sort of feeds a general paranoia about what's going on. We are no longer safe. The world is strange and scary and, you know, things, mundane events are now explained by, you know, nuclear tests and uh, million watt oscillating radio frequencies and stuff like that. Yeah, it just sort of adds to that noise. It adds to the fear. It just, in a very frightening time anyway. But, you know, I, what does this tell us? Does it tell us anything? I mean, yeah, I started by saying, you know, the, one of the things that I found so fun in doing a lot of this research is just these amazing little tidbits of history that you would otherwise not encounter. But is this just like a one-off? I mean... I, I think that you could see this pattern in a bunch of places. And what makes this one helpful to me is that uh, almost immediately, uh, a couple social scientists, uh, Nahum Medalia and Otto Larsen, start to research this event. Uh, they perform a, sort of a media survey. They get all the newspapers. They look over to the newspapers and see like how much, how many inches of, of column time are dev devoted to this, okay. this event. They do a, like a fairly robust telephone survey in Seattle of over uh, about a thousand people, and they ask them a bunch of questions. One of the things they learn is that almost 93% of the people they called were aware of this. This was a widespread phenomenon, wow. which is interesting because it does show how much penetration a story can achieve. It also shows you that there are going to be people <laughs> who are just unpenetratable. <laughs> the obstinate 7%. Yeah, are like, nope, seven, don't know anything. I, I don't know, never heard of this. <laughs> they, they wanted to know, how do people find out about this? You've talked about the media a lot. Yeah. And that is what they find. 51% heard about it in the newspapers. Okay. Which, of course, 1950s, that's not surprising. That's your go-to place, right? 18% okay. radio, 6% television, 19% okay. from another human being, and 6% uh, claimed direct experience of this event. Right, okay. Now, the newspaper coverage they focused on because that had been so important, and what they found was there was just a ton of speculation. There wasn't a lot of reporting. There was a lot of wild speculation. They brought in a lot of experts, the physical scientist experts often said, well, we think this is probably normal road wear. They also brought in engineers from Boeing. And now, because their expertise would have been part of the military industrial complex, mm. they looked at things like H-bomb fallout or the high frequency transmitter. Yeah. And there was a lot of police who were asked to give their expertise. Huh. And apparently the police gave the wildest and most contradictory explanations. Okay. At, like pollution, fallout bugs, so but mostly vandalism from the police. Right. So you're saying the police were consulted as experts on the cause, not just sort of the the way the event developed. Yeah. They, they weren't asked, so how many cars have been hit? They were right. asked, what caused this? Right. Now, okay. we treat police as experts, but okay. like in no way were those well, police officers experts in this They're area. experts in policing, right? Yeah. But not in nuclear physics and, in, right. you know, the things you would need to be an expert in to kind of solve this. And so their answer was mostly young punks. Right. Okay. Now, this is something, this is where we need to really learn a lesson from the Seattle windshield epidemic. Okay. Not only the importance of not freaking out and thinking critically and logically and asking important questions, but they also did a follow-up, these two social scientists, mm -hmm. Medalia and Larson. And they asked people, what do you think caused this event? Now, this is after the official story has been made. This is after it's been dismissed. This is after all of the explanations have been done. 
Even then, 50% of people said they were sure that something weird had caused this event. So by weird, it's not the official explanation. Not, not the official. Not the stones being kicked up by the car in front of you, A- but... Aliens. Nuclear uh, bombs. Well, 31% of that 50%, which I believe would be 15.5%. You could say any number right now, and I would have to agree. A significant amount of people still thought it was the H-bomb. Okay. 26% said they were unsure. 21% said it was just rocks from getting kicked up by tires. And 6% just refused to answer. Right. Okay. So that's a kind of... It's numbers like this that make me really question the decisions I've made in my life. And I'm going to give you a little anecdote that exp- that tells you what I'm getting at. So uh, we, we've referenced that we're all profs and we teach uh, a course on conspiracy theories. And one of the lessons that I do, you do, and we've done actually on this podcast is uh, the moon landing. Now, I start the class by asking students if they think that the moon landing was real. And I will get a certain amount, usually less than half, who think it isn't, it, that it was a conspiracy, that it didn't really happen. So, okay, and then we go through all the, you know, arguments and, and the context and the history and actually the claims and we debunk all the claims. and we, we end up with, you know, the moon landing happened and there's some very compelling reasons why you should think that. But even if you don't believe it, there's really compelling reasons why the fact that the conspiracy take on it is true is not, is not right. It doesn't work, right? It's severely flawed. Now, I start out with a certain amount of students who don't believe that the moon landing is real. And at the end, and this might speak to my teaching, actually, at the end of the lesson, I sometimes end up with more students believing that it's not real. After we've done the debunking, I've lost students along the way. Now, again, this might be (laughs) my skill as a teacher, but this number here that you're indicating that after it's all been settled, that the, the, the metaphorical dust has cleared, the scientists and the social the scientists... The actual dust has also been cleared. The actual dust has also been cleared. The scientists and social scientists have come in, given their expert opinions, essentially debunked the more outrageous claims. Half the people who know about it still refuse the what in my mind looks like the evidence-based explanation that's logical and coherent. Yeah. And also what's interesting about that is that basically by the 18th of April, this showed up quick and it vanished quick. Like after the 18th of April, there's there's no more calls, there's no more newspaper articles, it's done, it's over. Okay. Despite the fact that 50% of the people still think that something weird had happened. Right. So it's the argument of Medallia and Larson that it's, it's not the belief in something weird, it's the interest in it that faded. People still continue to believe it. They just weren't that interested. They moved on to something else. Okay. But it would still form part of their worldview. It's still like every idea that comes into you and then sort of occupies your head, that changes everything that you experience afterwards. Mm-hmm. Reaffirms maybe that, yeah, they're not to be trusted, the government and the officials. I mean, if you're already... I mean, with, they're not. Well, okay. But, <laughs> but if you already in, if you already have that kind of disposition for whatever maybe very coherent and good reasons, this might just be another piece of evidence, right, that you can use to be like, okay, it's not legitimate. What they're telling me is not the truth. I don't know what the truth is, but I'm not getting it from the official sources. But it does make me despair to some extent because I feel like the work of 
clear-sighted debunking, which, I mean, we, we're not just about throwing cold water on everything. We, we have often encountered very real conspiracies, and I think we've been... Uh, I've learned a lot about taking uh, positions that I don't think end up being right seriously. I've learned a lot in that process, and yet I wonder to what extent rational, critical thought actually gets folks to change their mind. That is a question that makes me also feel despair. Yeah. And if you and I are both feeling despair, <laughs> then we have we have done our job. We are we yeah, that's right. We are at the end of the pod. Where's Elena to bring us bring us back from this? Well, she'll be on the next one. The next one uh, we'll be talking about September 11th. Oh yeah, no despair there. That's So, that we're yeah. going to oh we'll feel more despair then. So in the meantime, this is a topic that like I said we talk about in lecture a lot, but we don't often mentioned in the podcast, but it reminded me of all those students we've had. Yeah. And because we're not going to be teaching in person this year. Oh, so sad. Uh, we'd love to hear from old students. Yeah. So send us an email. <laughs> Did you at, hear the desperation? In my <laughs> wow. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lee really wants to hear from just anybody really at this point. Uh, so yeah. So send us an email. If you're a former student, send us an email at a podcast at wait. Yeah. No, I'm sure. Podcast oh, at the uncoverup.com. Com. Yes, thank you. Podcast Boom. at theuncoverup.com. And if you are not one of our former students, we like hearing from you yeah, guys. Yeah, say hi anyway. Yeah. And we try to respond to everybody. Mm. Uh, other than that, uh, we're getting closer and closer to us having enough Instagram followers that I'm going to have to get a tattoo on my arm. I love it. I think we're only about 40 away. Okay. I might just make up the difference myself. I'll just yeah, create a just, quick 40 accounts. I got to see this tattoo going on. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't know when it'll be safe to get a tattoo. But as the day it is, <laughs> I love it. I'm getting the UFO on me. Okay. So in the meantime, everybody, uh, I hope you stay safe. Thanks yep. for listening. And we'll see you next time with a full cohort. Yep. Uh, and uh, it's September 11th, I think, yeah. that we're going to be talking about. I mean, we won't see them. No. For the medium. We will. We won't even hear them. You will hear us? Yeah, that sounds uh, like a threat. <laughs> you will hear from us. Okay, okay, okay. Let's let's quit while we're ahead. Too late.